What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And y'all, what is up? We have another dope episode for you. I cannot wait to get to this conversation. But first, as always, like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really, really helps folks discover the show. And I'm up. I'm going to tap on that review part. Haven't had a review in a while, so please review the show. Really, really helps. I want to hear from you. Another way to get in touch with us is following RTWD on IG at RTWD Podcast. Send your boy a DM. Send your favorite episodes. All of that is welcome. And then finally, by financially supporting the show. So there's two ways to do that. The first one is by joining the Real Fam Patreon page. It's a dope community there join that the second one is like sometimes our pockets ain't set up for a monthly subscription so i am on the you can join the coffee rtwd page where you can submit a one-time donation and be like you know you can be like my grandma where she slide me five twenty ten dollars every now and again so i just want to send a big shout out to the real fam uh, community already samantha p gabrielle s top shelf gaming tanya and sarah thank y'all so much for being a part of it i really really appreciate y'all and y'all by financially supporting the show you are literally and i mean literally helping the show run all right now on to my guest this week i am joined by Morniki Williams. Morniki Williams is an experienced senior legal executive with over 14 years of experience navigating top law firms and corporations, both domestically and internationally. Despite having objective success, Morniki realized she was unfulfilled. So she embarked on a transformational journey to redefine what success looks like for her and has found fulfillment in rewriting her own story and journeying with others to do the same. Morniki and I talk about how it was okay for our life plans to evolve and sometimes change, define what success means to us, and what advice would we give to our younger selves about happiness. This was a fun and enjoyable conversation. I am so excited for y'all to, to meet Marniki. But without further ado, here is Marniki. Marniki, how are you doing? Welcome to the Real Talk with Duma podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Hey, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm fantastic. Yes. I am fantastic. Oh, no yes, complaints. Yes, yes. All right. There. I like to hear that. And also, happy belated birthday. It was your, your birthday not too long ago. So I just want yes. to- Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I read a little bit of your bio, which I got straight up. Like This is one of the ones that I didn't have to spend a ton of time writing. All I did was take directly from <laughs> your website, which is always good. But I would love for you to share a little bit more with the real fam. Like, who is Morniki? I always like to ask that question at top. Yeah. I mean, I would say I am first and foremost a daughter. My mom is amazing. She raised me by herself and I am her only child. And so I'm a proud daughter of an awesome and amazing mother. I'm a lawyer. Um, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a mogul in the making. Like That's, that's how so, I would describe myself. Come on now. <laughs> we got to claim it even when yes. we're on the journey. You so. better speak it. <laughs> so it's like, it's crazy till it happens. So I am a mogul mm. in the making. Yes. And and that's and that's me. I'm someone who's clear on on who I am. I've done a lot of work to get mm. clear on who I am. And so just every day walking that out, being myself and and enjoying the journey of figuring out who that is and loving that person, because that has been a journey. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So many relatable things that you just said. <laughs> uh, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm the son of a, a single mother, too. I mean, I had a stepdad that was there, but like their relationship was a little fraught. But yeah, I, I mean, 
I'm a, I'm a son. Like I love my mom. Yeah. I'm a mama's boy. I unapologetically, I don't even care. Yeah. You know, I got my healthy boundaries, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. But you know, I love my mama anyways. So, but another thing you said there is like doing the work and like understanding who you are, loving who you are, Mm-hmm. learning who that person is like every day, you know what I'm saying? I think sometimes we we get to a point where it's like, I don't know, when, at least when I was younger, I mean, yeah, at least when I was younger, I'm like, yeah, like this is it. Like this is me. Like the the growing, like I only grow physically now. Like there's no, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which is like a ridiculous thought. Only, only somebody in their, you know, early 20s would think something like that. But as you know, as we get older, like we, we still are, are navigating stuff. Um, I heard a quote mm-hmm. today that is like, Oh my gosh, I heard it from, it was from Jamil Hill was on a podcast. She heard it from her therapist and she said like, our childhood never leaves us or something like that. Mm. And so like, we're constantly unpacking all these things that we picked up throughout our lives. Um, so I love that you had shared, you know, that, that tidbit about just, you know, learning who you are and loving it. I, 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 I love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's yeah. so true. Like childhood experiences, they all plant seeds in us. And so some of those seeds are good. <laughs> and they grow into good fruit, but other ones we have to intentionally pluck up. It's like, I keep just thinking of myself as a garden and I'm going through and weeding things out that need to be removed. And so that's kind of my my annual quarterly, monthly journey that I'm on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. I want to touch on a little bit. You said a mogul in the making. What does that look like <laughs> to you? Go ahead. Talk me through it. So Paint I think me just- a dream. Listen, like having a powerhouse platform, I think one of the things, you know, I started my coaching business a few years ago, Revision Coaching, but I've been coaching people my entire life Mm -hmm. and just really understanding that there's something more that a lot of us have inside of us, but we don't always tap into it either because of fear or we just don't know where to start Mm -hmm. or we just don't believe it's possible anymore. Because once you get past a certain age, this idea of dreaming becomes just like, oh, you need to stop being a dreamer. You need to like plant your feet and be realistic. And so I I think for me, thinking about like, how can I create a space where people feel that they can do that? So part of it is through coaching. Part Mm -hmm. of it is also recognizing that being and working for someone else is not everyone's final destination or calling. And so how can I create a space for entrepreneurs to learn how to actually start successful businesses and not just the kind of, you know, front side that we see on like IG and all the posts, like I made a million dollars, but like the back side of the blessing, like the back office stuff, the things that people don't actually teach you about, like how can I create a space where people can learn to do that? And Mm -hmm. so you know, creating courses so that people are making multi-million dollar businesses that are profitable and that actually run and mm-hmm. function well behind the scenes yep. and then creating a, a professional speaking business because I do feel that that's something I'm called to do. And and I enjoy speaking and sharing my, my stories and experiences such as they are. So it's going to be through speaking, coaching, creating courses and content. And then we'll talk about film and all of these other things that I just believe like social impact investing is something that I plan on doing. And really there aren't a lot of black faces in that space. And I plan on Mm -hmm. being one of them so that we're raising money to impact communities in a way that benefits the people actually in the community and not displacing them. Yeah. I'm going to touch (laughs) right on that right now. So uh, um, because like there's something that I just keep witnessing and seeing with like right-hearted 
folks coming into <laughs> communities mm-hmm. and thinking they know best, which is like, honestly, that's a colonizing like mindset, right? Of yeah. Like you going in there and you thinking you have all the answers for this community. That community already has all the answers they need. What you, they yes. need is support. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like what they exactly. need is like empowerment and support of their mm-hmm. voices, of the, uh, of the things that they have, because they're under-resourced. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I just think about like some of the ways that I grew up, you know, like I, yeah, like it would have been dope to like, you know, I was going to join the golf club or the golf team. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to do that because, like, I went to the golf arena the first time, hit, like, a 400-yard, like, drive. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow. you know, I could have <laughs> been the next Tiger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. And so, uh, and so there, but, like, I had to give that up because, like, we couldn't afford no clubs. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And then the, the, the team ended up getting scrapped because they didn't have resources to, like, how many people, like, golfing can be a really expensive, you know, sport. Um, so it's different things tennis. like it's different things like that yeah. that can like you know that's a small example but I'm just talking about like boys and girls club you know mm-hmm. more social workers within the uh, within um, the communities like different different things like that and really like funding these areas and and other like businesses that create jobs that like you know beyond just being a basketball player or or like a like a whatever whatever the thing mm-hmm. other thing that I that I thought was like. The epitome when you can be successful in so many other things. <laughs> yeah, just seeing it is truly believing it, believing it sometimes. So those social impact ventures, like I'm really interested in, um, as well. Um, and it's like yeah. it's so spot on what you said because when I tell people, so growing up, like I didn't come from a neighborhood like it was mostly working class. Like I didn't have examples of lawyers or doctors or anything of the like. Like my mom, she graduated from high school, and so that and that was pretty consistent throughout my neighborhood. And to your point, like. But it's not that being intelligent is an exception. I think that's a misnomer that people think yes. about when they think about the inner city. The inner city, like, oh, you're like, I always think about what is that Django where he's like the exceptional Negro. No, there's like yeah. a lot of intelligence here. I just happen to have a mom who did everything she did she could to give me every chance she possibly could in yeah. the midst of what we had to work with, and I was able to elevate and and have a different set of circumstances. And it's not speaking against where I came from. Um, I love mm. my neighborhood and where I where I grew up, but just it's that there's that lack of opportunity, like you said. Yeah. Like my mom worked multiple jobs to be able to pay for me to do extracurricular activities yeah. that my white counterparts were doing. And yeah. so it's it's just not easy. And and the other thing I would say with that investment piece is the people who live there are the people that they build this community and this trust. And so when other people come in, a lot of times I feel like they end up having to displace people because you don't have the trust. You don't know what's best, like you said, and like they don't trust that you're going to do what's best for them. And Mm -hmm. so that's really our goal is how do we kind of have an, return for investors you want to make sure you have the roi but like yeah we can do that by also pouring money into businesses that are there or creating pipelines to bring in and support businesses that would otherwise be there if they just had sometimes it's like a twenty thousand dollar loan we think it, it has to is. be it a is. massive amount yeah and it's not yep yep so. i get so frustrated because like gentrification for example mm-hmm. like you got people that go in there and like, I want to open up like um, my own co-working spot and I have my own like dream behind that and do like social impact through like entrepreneurship within the community. But like, I'm still new to this community, so I'm not going to open mm-hmm. up like I, I could part- very well participate in that. And like there are 
places in like northern part of like Long Beach that are probably cheaper and like start doing that. But like I need to like earn the trust of the community and be here for a little bit before I start doing something like that. But anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. But like what I get confused <laughs> about is like the 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 community members and the business members that have been supporting this community for decades, right? Decades mm-hmm. get pushed out by people that come in and just pay a higher price. Why can't mm-hmm. you just like work alongside those businesses that have already been there and like provide that like like I, I get it. Some people like just not profit like there 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 is a line. Like there is a line, you know what I'm saying? But like I don't understand why you gotta push them out. Like why can't you just like listen, we're gonna update this building and we're gonna work out a long term deal yeah. for you to stay here and like spread it out. Because like we trust you, believe you, you've been a staple here. We're just not gonna shove you out. But I think there's just a loss of like humanity. A business mm-hmm. that is just like that, you know, is fundamentally built within like capitalism, but like also just damn man, they're human beings. Like, come on, yo, like <laughs> we gotta like like we can't we can't work anything out. Like there can't be nothing done. Like you know, and yeah. so yeah, these social impact ventures and like partnering with them and what can be done with these loans. It's just like <laughs> like a lot can be done with twenty thousand dollars. Like give their store a, a facelift or, you know, fix that exactly. problem that has been, they've been putting band-aids on for the longest time that would actually drive yeah. business or, you know, get new like products it, in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like prioritizing people over profits. That's really mm-hmm. what it is at the end of the day. So you're looking at the lens where like, you're looking at the people and wanting yeah. to and caring for the people where someone else, if their top focus is the profits, the people are secondary. And so I think it's like, how do we get big business to flip that equation, realize that you can still be profitable investing yes. in the people. And that's yeah. the shift that we have to see. And when we start to see more of that, we'll start to see more of that investment in the communities because they don't have to be, um, polar opposites like it doesn't have to be to be profitable (laughs) that you can't also invest in the people who are there and so we have to continue to fight against that idea yeah yeah it's the the win-win is possible i just yeah Mm -hmm. i can talk about that at length forever Uh, (laughs) (laughs) at length at length uh shifting gears a little bit a line that you shared like that was incredibly impactful um and relatable to me was that you said the teenage me mapped out my entire life before high school but the adult me never took stock of whether living that plan made me happy. And so like the reason why that stuck to me is because like I think back to, and God bless my mama, I love her so much, but like she listens to my podcast. So I want everybody (laughs) to know that my mom is an incredible mother. I want you to know this. I'm just like processing a lot. But like, so like my mom had me at a very young age. And so like for her, her whole thing is like, she wanted wanted me to have the opportunities that she never had the chance to do. So she mm-hmm. wants me to be further along than she did. And then my, you know, if I decide to have, if, if me and my partner decide to have kids, yada, 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 further, 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 yeah. you know, building that, that, building that wealth, you know what I'm saying? And so like, but one of the things she told me, always told me is like, you're going to be a lawyer, like you're going to be a lawyer. <laughs> and so like in my mind, like throughout my life, I was always going to be a lawyer since I was like three years old, you know what I'm saying? And there were some things that happened in my life that like reinforced that, that said like, I need to be a lawyer because like, this is wrong, you know? But I also mm-hmm. thought that being a lawyer was the only way, or being an attorney more particularly, was the only way to get those, to do those things. And so I had like a quarter life crisis when I graduated in undergrad because I, I realized that like I did not want to go to law school because like, and then I also had people like talking me out of going to law school. It was really <laughs> weird. I just realized I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And like that path actually was not making me happy. It took me three and a half years to like actually enjoy my undergraduate major, which I mean, I love psychology, I love sociology, I love business way more. So yeah, I really tried to make that lawyer thing stick. 
But like for you, what was what was your plan? What was the plan that you mapped out before you were in high school? I'm really curious. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. I feel like all of our moms had like this planning committee and got together. They did. They really did. <laughs> so my mom never no. said that I needed to be a lawyer, but she she did and what was, and I'm very grateful for it, is that she always said I needed to graduate college. And so the finish line was never graduating high school. It was graduating college. And so someone one day asked me like, what would you have done if you didn't go to college? I was like, I don't know. I never thought about that because that's always been the finish line. So I grew up, you know, I'm a Cosby kid and I know like we're going to put aside. Hey, you know, we're going to stay on the Huxtables. That's what we're going to do. Huxtables. The Huxtables. Yeah. The Huxtables. I am a Huxtable raised child. And so just growing up again, not having examples that were tangible and readily available, I saw, okay, there is this black man who is a doctor and his wife is a lawyer. And I know enough to know that they are living in New York and brownstones and they have a gaggle of kids. And this is, this this means they make a lot of money. That's all I was thinking is like, okay, I'm not going to be some pro athlete who's making millions of dollars. I'm not going to be a singer or a rapper because those were the main exit strategies that you saw in, in our neighborhoods. And so I'm yeah. like, I'm smart. So this looks like I can do it. And that yeah. was really it. So I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer. I absolutely loved my pediatrician. And so I was going to be a pediatrician. And then I took biology in high school. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> someone told me I had to take that for like years and years and years. And I was yeah. like, no. And then I was like, I have to go to school for how many years to be a doctor before I start actually getting a six-figure check? Absolutely not. And I was like, I can go to law school for three years and be done. So Mm -hmm. that was really part of it. It wasn't some type of like, I want to make the world a better place. I'm just being honest. It was like, these are two paths that I think will be profitable that will change my family situation for the better. And then I think I can do. And similarly, people always told me growing up, I should be a lawyer just because I was good at arguing both sides of a situation, Mm -hmm. being able to kind of turn the glass and like, what about this? What about this? And so that was really it. So once I canceled out med school because of biology, then I was like, okay, I'm all in on -hmm. law school. And so then it was a very clear path. In Florida, one of the things they do, I think it's called like Bright Futures, is if you do well academically, you can go to any school in Florida for free for college. Mm. Um, but I just, I worried that if I did that, I would never leave Florida. Okay. And a lot of people don't necessarily leave the state that they grew up in. And I thought corporate law, Wall Street, I need to get to New York. So that was my focus. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill for undergrad and I was like, that'll put me out of state. So I'll get used to living away from home, but not so far that I can't get back yeah. to the house in under 12 hours. And then I went to NYU for law school. And so yeah. that was my mapping. And I kind of planned that out and I executed on that plan. And then it yeah. was, I'm going to go to the best law firm in New York that I can. And so I went to like Crevasse, Wayne and Moore, which is like amazing high end, um, high tier law firm and had um, a lot of great foundational training. And so that was kind of my clear cut path. And I did not revisit it. I just put my head down and executed on that. And so then now my life is decided and I'm a lawyer and I'm going to be a lawyer and that's all I'm going to do. And mm-hmm. I think that was something I didn't think what I like being a lawyer would being a lawyer actually look like it looked like on TV. <laughs> like yeah, and it doesn't. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> it doesn't at all. Yeah. Um, so. You're behind a desk working with paperwork. Like, yeah. 
a lot. And you're working, <laughs> and it's like it's one thing to see on TV and people hear people talk about the long hours, but then when you actually are working these long hours, like I feel like I was back, like just online or something. Like it's just crazy. You're just doing all these all nighters and stuff. And so it's just, it's funny just being up late and doing all the things and you just get an adrenaline and you're stressed and it becomes your normal. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is I didn't realize for me, again, for those who love the kind of churn and burn all nighter things, God bless you. But I think for me, it became my normal. I never stopped to think like, is this actually normal? And mm. so when I would take off and then I might be walking through, I'm like, wait, people, people actually make it to happy hour. <laughs> like people do brunch. They're not yeah. working on the weekend. This is a thing. And so you start to see some of those life things happening where you're just like, okay, this is not the right path thing for me from a long-term perspective, but I don't know how to get off of this kind of treadmill I'm on because I also love the salary that comes with it. Yeah, I mean, I, you go from being broke and like eating ramen and getting two for one pizzas and stretching it out until you get your little refund check from school yeah. to coming out, <laughs> getting a high six figures with a straight mm. face, like yep. going to now fine dining restaurants and being mm. able to take my mom to fine dining restaurants and take mm. her to Broadway and to travel. Yeah. Like there's a lifestyle. So we that's talking what I call $4 sign, four or $5 right. sign. It's not no, <laughs> Exactly. You know, you know, yeah. when you see that multi, yeah. the multi-dollar sign, you're like, how many, how expensive is this? And then you're like, yeah. I don't even care. I'm like, we just know. Yeah. I, I don't even need to look at the check. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. So it's like yes. you you see it and you're just like, oh, I don't want to give that up. This is a mm -hmm. thing. This is why they call it the golden handcuffs because yep. you mm -hmm. get accustomed to it and having like thinking about letting that go is is tough. Yeah. No, no, I can honestly I can I can only man, I ain't never made no high six figures, you know. <laughs> but I but I'll tell you like when like when I hit that dollar amount that like like I wasn't stressing no more. It was, mm -hmm. it made it a little, it made it difficult. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I like <laughs> I, I'm not happy, but I also am not broke. So yeah. <laughs> like, like to be able to spend, buy stuff that I want, like, and not think about mm -hmm. it. Like it's, it's nice. It's real nice. No, I can, I, I could totally relate. And also it's like support my family. I think a lot of things that me and my wife talk about this a good amount because like she comes from like her background, like she's, upper middle class like and i was working class and like oftentimes paycheck to paycheck and like yep. when we got married like she had like a ton of money in the bank and didn't have student loans at all and so like i'm over here with my you know <laughs> 60k in student loans and then like <laughs> no savings and so like it's just and really like having to navigate that it's just a very different like having conversations about like you know but also i'm the first in my family to go to college so like there is, and I'm the oldest. So there is also a responsibility to take care of my family, whether it's like it's explicitly said or not, especially in like communities of color, like that typically is like the the thing there. And so mm -hmm. um, not always, but like sometimes it is. And so I'm not just thinking about like, all right, I'm gonna pay these students loans off. I'm gonna do this. But like when I started making that money, like I'm caring mm -hmm. for my family, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm making mm -hmm. sure that not only like my nuclear family is good, but like my mom's is good. My brother's is good and all that stuff. So, and so like, like even when like those sports, any, anybody in sports, like, because I, I just pay attention mostly to this, like when they're talking about their family, they're talking about like all them people that are on their back. So it's a lot of, uh, so it's, it, it, you're carrying a lot with that. 
um, with those golden handcuffs. And mine were mm-hmm. probably like silver handcuffs, but I feel you. But, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yes, but like, how did you get to a point where you like where this just wasn't working anymore? Because I know when I got to that point, it like it was more of a health thing that I realized it wasn't working anymore. Because mm-hmm. I recognized like the stress was like doing something to my heart. What was what mm-hmm. was the moment for you where you where you realized like this happiness thing, like this plan needs to evolve somewhere along the way. It's so interesting and eerie, very similar. What the health crisis was, was different, but it really just became apparent like from a stress perspective, from an anxiety perspective. Mm. And it was funny because objectively I was successful. So from Mm. the outside world, people saw that I'm doing well. I'd moved to London. And so I was working at a different, a top London firm. They call them magic circle firms. And I'd gotten promoted early. So again, objectively, checking the box, killing it. Now I'm traveling the world. I'm doing all of the things, but I was depressed. I was Mm. severely depressed. And so it would be that I'm going into the office and doing this deal and then coming home and bursting into tears. Mm. And that just became my routine. And it was, I'm not a crier. And I don't think there's anything wrong with crying. I feel like it's healthy, but I don't cry like on a daily basis. This is not a frequent thing, but now it's Mm. just become part of my routine. It's like, I'm Mm. crying like all of the time. And when I mentioned it to a few people, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I cry at least once a week. It's just part of the, the job. It's par for the course. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, what is going on? So we all are healthy? So- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. There's not a sane one in the bunch. Like, yeah. all hot messes. <laughs> Like, I know oh, that now. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I just want to say mental health is not a joke. We're laughing because like there is mutual yeah. pain that we're, we're exactly. it's coming up as laughter, but there's mutual pain. Exactly. There. It's trauma, there is, traumatic laughter. I, I tell you. It, is, yep. it yep. is. And it's, you know, you can be on the other side of, of that journey now. And for me, like I said, it just kept getting worse. And so when you ask mm. about the moment, I actually started playing up working with a coach and, 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 Doing that process, I had the safety to say what the truth was that I'd frankly known for a long time. It's like, I don't want to be a partner and I don't want to work at a law firm anymore. Mm. But I just didn't feel like I had the space to say it. And so in working with my coach, that was kind of the truth and the exhale that I had. And so then I began the process of like, I talked, I spoke with my partner who I worked for and kind of shared that, you know, I really think it's, it's, we're at that point where I have to either start leaning in to be on partnership track or I, cause there's a whole process with London firms about like how you get to partners, not just tenure. It's really mm-hmm. this whole vaccine thing. And, um, or you kind of decide to pivot out. And I was like, I think I want to go in-house. I want to actually leave being at the firm. And so then I started to apply for opportunities and start to search externally. And I wasn't finding what I wanted. And so I decided that I was going to do something that had been on my bucket list for years, which was to take a year off and travel. And so I actually decided to quit my job and didn't know what I was going to do when I came out of that year. But I was like, I'm trusting that I'm going to figure it out. But I know that I don't want to do this and I am severely Mm. unhappy and I need to stop. And so I took a year off and traveled. Um, And in that year, it was amazing. I did so many trips and so many bucket list items. But my the level of mental health, there was a really rapid decline because I think Mm -hmm. that I had failed to appreciate just how bad it was because the busyness of my Mm -hmm. day-to-day kind of kept me 
out of touch with what was fully going on under the surface. And so I got to the point of being suicidal yeah, and like really having to then do the work to come back from that. And like me and God had some real conversations during, during that, that time, because it was almost like when you have like, when you think about someone gets surgery and they have on a compression stocking to manage the swelling and things like that, that was the job. And so when I quit the job, everything just was kind of like, oh, I relaxed. And now it's just like yeah. this ton no, of yeah, bricks. Yeah, there's nothing to hold, down it, on hold it together. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So it was coming out of that and just then having to do that work over that year. Mm. No, thank you so much for sharing that. I know like mm-hmm. even that process, even when you bring it back up, it's like, it, there, I mean, depending on how far removed or actually that really doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like it could, you know, it could be still, you know, eh. But um, I, I feel you on that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I just Absolutely. like want to hold that. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, I, yeah, I, I remember even for, for myself to like, oh my gosh, it was just like a scary time because I had never felt those things before. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I am like, I'm used to like, if I don't have it figured out, I'll, I'll figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, if, if I don't, like if I'm, I, I don't believe in like dead ends. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, I believe that I'll always find a route around it and like with when my mental health took a drastic decline Mm -hmm. like that was the first dead end I've ever experienced and I didn't know what to do I I, it was like so it was like so scary to not know like to be unknown and like not being able to sit in that because I didn't know how like (laughs) wait like you mentioned it earlier like when you have when you're doing this plan you have it all mapped out and you're like outlining everything and you're doing that and then you Mm -hmm. finally get there and you're like all right you don't know what to do. It's kind of like you never, you're, the, the unknown is unknown. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. really, yeah. so um, and to sit in that is difficult. And so I even remember the moment where I came to terms with like my plan, I'm, I'm going to scratch the plan. You know, when I came mm-hmm. to terms to that moment, it was scary, but freeing at the same time. I'm curious, like when you, when you came to that moment of like, this is not it, like, what, what did you feel? How did, how, how was that for you? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a release and an exhale because mm. part of that had to I had to give up control. And so, mm. you know, whatever mm. someone's belief system is, I established that I'm a believer. And so I was just like, look, God, this isn't working. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I was like, huh. It's just just take yep. it. And it was freeing because I think that control is deceptive to begin with. And we like to think that we are more in control than we are. It's just the ish hasn't hit the fan yet. Yeah. And things haven't perhaps gone off the rails. And mm-hmm. so I think that in recognizing that like I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what to do next. But I know this isn't it. Like just taking that step, it was it was a relief. And even mm-hmm. though the process after it, like there was some work that needed to be done and there was yeah. a lot of healing that needed to happen, that process doesn't start if I don't stop. If I don't mm-hmm. just acknowledge that what I'm doing isn't working, that allowed I think the band-aid that I was putting on it to be ripped off and the wounds to actually get the air they needed to heal and for me to kind of get them cleaned up. And so I, I think that it was it was a release. That's the only way I can explain mm. it. And just a recognition that when I got to the point of thinking like it's either gotta be better or it's never gonna get better. And mm-hmm. so at one point I'm like it's never gonna get better. And so but when I realized like no it can and will get better if I just stay here, then I just had to believe that and and just keep walking towards that. And so I think mm-hmm. that was just for me, I felt like 
it's got to get better. And so I just yeah. kept saying that to myself, it's it's going to get better. It's got mm-hmm. to get better. And I felt a little bit of peace each day. I wasn't at peace, but I felt a little bit more peace day by day as I just mm-hmm. continued to know that. I know that's not it. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what's right, but I know that what I left wasn't right for me. And so mm-hmm. I just tried to ground myself there. And I think that's been what's helped me Mm-hmm. every every step of the way um and then i had to figure out like who i am because the reality is you talk about this in one of your your other episodes and you talk about having to wear a mask and for you it was mm-hmm. in spaces of being in spaces with um you're the only black person and you're always like in white spaces and having to kind of put on the mask obviously to adapt i think that i was putting on mask in a lot of my circles even in my circles where i'm with all my black friends because i had this this need for acceptance and so when someone i guess responded to whatever they saw if it was like the funny me that day or like the high energy then I feel like I always had to be that person yeah and so I wasn't curating and building relationships that allowed me to just be me Mm -hmm. and so I had to figure out who me was and then I had to accept that me was enough yeah and then I had to say for my inner circle this is me and then people could rock with that person or not because there's a lot of people who love a version of you that you no longer love and like mm-hmm. that no longer serves you. And mm-hmm. so my inner circle doesn't necessarily look the way it did um, five, six years ago because those people loved a broken version of me. And that's not mm-hmm. who I am, certainly mm-hmm. in my healed state. Listen. <laughs> Moroniki, that's a word. She said they, they loved a broken version of me. Come on. Are you kidding? You got to stop. Listen, all right, so, <laughs> well, that's the thing is, like, it, it is, I, I think it, like, it's freeing and releasing mm-hmm. to, like, love and accept that new person. But at the same time, there is a grief that comes with, like, the loss, yes. right? And I'm just thinking about, like, the loss and changes mm-hmm. of, like, my own revolution, evolution and, 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 and growth, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. because, like, you know. Those were some, some of those were some really good times. I had some really fun times, you know, and (laughs) I really loved those people. But like, you're right. Like that person is not serving me no more. Mm -hmm. And like, there was a time, a season and a place for that. But like, like I was broke, you know what I'm saying? And and, and and so I'm trying to get better. And so if you can't Mm -hmm. rock with that, I mean, it might be better if we, you know, you know, my mama says, (laughs) sometimes you got to love people from across the street. Yes. So it's just like it's just like it's it's okay, but like that process is still difficult. You know what I'm saying? I'm not mm-hmm. gonna, you know. And you you outlined just like even the road, you know, of just like all right, understanding me. All right, when I understand me, okay, and, and just like going through that is yeah, it it you got me shook. So <laughs> um, I'm curious because we have talking taking some time talking about you know for us examining like our own selves and and really mm-hmm. like walking this and it, it really has been a, like us but there's people behind the scenes that are like supporting us i'm wondering like what was your support system like because for me i mean i think it was one it, it's funny there's people that are far off that were like support systems for me like reading books those who have mentioned journaling you know i didn't get like a solid therapist that was like you know well i'm gonna say black therapist because like that was mm-hmm. I had a I had a therapist who said, "All right, well, teach me, like, tell me." Well, he wanted me to teach him, but tell yes. me, like, what it is to be black because, like, I don't know. And I'm like, "All right, that was the last time I saw him because I can't, <laughs> like, I can't, 
I am paying you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what is, what is, what is, you, paying you. Yeah, like you better go do some work. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I feel you, but like as a white therapist, like don't say that to me. What? What? I feel or don't you. Don't take but, on black client, clients. Yeah, if, like, like you're not going to do the work. Yeah, like you know, I can go on a long rant about like how um, <laughs> cultural competency is very necessary in all educational institutions and, and professions yes. and and whatever. But I will not. Yes. So like, and I also think about some of the friends that like saw the evolution and provided space for me to be and like vent mm-hmm. shout out to the Walrus Pack. And then also just like, that's what I call that group of friends, Walrus Pack. I was about Pack. to say, Funny come story. on, Walrus Pack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Rust Pack. Uh, and then super weird. And then my partner, shout out her of just like, she's mm-hmm. this white woman from Minnesota, um, just outside the Twin Cities. And like, she was going through her own process and encouraged me to find different avenues and to, and we got to a point where I was like, we need to leave Orange County or I'm leaving. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so like, it just encouraged me in, in my blackness and, and, and just like found different ways to like support me in that too. And like, that was my own evolution and change and, and all that. So like, there was like this support system that was, it was a lot of internal work, but there was like this incredible support mm-hmm. system that I had. And then my mom having some incredible conversation with my mom as I've grown and this podcast has been helpful. What has been, long story short, what has been like, what is that, what was that support system like for you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it evolved. I think Mm. that the first thing was definitely my mom and just her saying it was okay for me to pivot. I Mm. felt like she's never been someone who made me feel like I had to take care of her. I needed to do things for her. I just loved being in a position to feel that I was able to give back to her knowing all that she poured into me. So I like being able to be like, hey, mom, when you come visit, we're going to Turkey or we're going here. Like I just, I enjoyed being able to do and share those experiences with her. And so her being like, it's okay if you don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Like we'll be fine. She's like, I don't care if we got to get a one bedroom and you got to come home, like whatever it is. And so just knowing that she wouldn't be disappointed in me or she didn't look at it as a failure if I pivoted, that was very freeing. And so I think that one thing I would say just generally to people is create space for people to pivot and like, let them feel like it's okay as they evolve, because we sometimes stunt people's growth because they're trying to live up to and make sure that they don't disappoint us. And that doesn't necessarily serve them. Like we want what's best for them, but we don't realize what we want actually isn't good for them. And so that was the first thing. And the second thing was I had to start learning that it was okay to let people know that I wasn't good and I'm the strong friend in all of my circles. Mm -hmm. And so I'm the person that people come to. I'm the person people rely on. I'm not I have not historically been good at telling people when I'm not okay or that I need help. And I I also had some abandonment issues. And so I was reluctant to tell people if they weren't actually meeting my friend needs because I was afraid that that would run them off. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. she's, she's asking too much. And so I think creating space to actually say like, hey, I'm not okay. Letting people see some of the cracks that I kept trying to cover up. And then I saw who leaned in and who didn't and who then identified themselves as a safe space. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say, so my best friend and my big bro, Rodney, is another person who's been just crucial in my journey in that we both have had our own journeys. And being able to have someone who's seen you at your low and who has supported you and loved you as you've gotten to a place of health, so that is one of the relationships that has been able to evolve as I have evolved. Mm -hmm. And so I think that those are two people who've been really key to my 
just overall journey because it confirmed that there there is someone who cares about me and who mm-hmm. wants me here and who needs me. And I think I had kind of started to undervalue that, but who will accept me in my iterations? Because I was worried that like, I'm going to be myself if I'm actually myself. Yep. And that wasn't true. It was really just that I needed to free some room up at the table for people who wanted to sit down with the real me. And that yes. that pruning process can feel isolating at times, mm-hmm. but you know you have to go through it. But I would say, and then just learning to create space, learning what my triggers were, mm-hmm. learning what healthy boundaries were for me, and then mm-hmm. starting to put them in place, saying no. So part of it was the people who were around me, and I did, I won't say cut like people off, but I just like very much intentionally limited who had access to me in that season yes. because I was fragile. And so I was like, I'm fragile and I can't have a bunch of opinions around me. And so Mm -hmm. I had to go into a little bit of a cocoon. And then Mm -hmm. I also had to learn how to say no Mm -hmm. and honor my no. And no is a complete sentence. And Mm -hmm. so I don't need to explain why I'm saying no. And so as I started to do that, because I was saying yes to a lot of things I didn't want to do and expending energy I didn't have to give. Mm-hmm. And and worried about that if I say no, this person's not going to talk to me. But like the only people who are mad at your no are those who thought they were entitled to your yes. yes. And that's a whole other yeah. bucket. I mean, of, that's literally like, a whole podcast. We could talk about that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That might yeah. be the name of this podcast. The, right. <laughs> the entitled yes. I tell you. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, my, you maybe go. not this podcast, but another one. Yeah. That, that's a yeah. that's a word. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for sharing that because like. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. Like I I think that there was like a fear of like if I say no this time I'll never get another another get never get another invite ever. Ever ever ever. ever. Mm-hmm. They won't think about mm-hmm. me, they'll forget about me, all that stuff. And maybe abandonment issues. So uh <laughs> for me too. <laughs> God dog. All right. So yeah, I mean, I think I think even just like honoring your no and just like mm-hmm. that being it is just like it's going to be all right. You know, you're right that there are going to be people that come in and they're like Oh, for real? Is it like, uh, all right, maybe we ain't going to be hanging out as much because this is ridiculous. Oh my gosh. You you said so much there that I am going to sit on. I, I almost started crying when you started talking about the mama thing. Because like I think about my own journey about like when I told my mom that I wasn't going to be a lawyer anymore. She said, John, I don't care what you are. You can be a lawyer and I'll be up. Or, no, not a lawyer. You could be a clown with a big old red yes. nose, white, <laughs> white yeah. ass face, and I will be up front cheering you on. You better do your thing. Yes. Don't forget the horn, baby. Don't forget the right. horn. You know, you better pop out that car, baby. You better pop out that car. <laughs> she like front row you at Circus Soleil every weekend. Yes, you know, you got your knees. Watch your knees on that tiny car. So, <laughs> so it's just like it's just and just not the fear of letting those that you feel let, that are depending on you letting them down mm-hmm. was like the biggest obstacle. That had overcome because like mm-hmm. I'm used to being the strong one too. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know, providing that advice or you know, people ask me to do something like I gotta show up. You know what I'm saying? Like, because mm-hmm. if, they, if I don't, you know, something bad's gonna happen to them. And like, there's some right. remnants of that to this day that I'm still working on. I, I literally, my therapist asked me every single session, but <laughs> it's just like they're gonna be all right. Like, honestly, they'll they'll be okay. And like, yes, their well being is not your responsibility. My mother's well being is not my responsibility. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And she's never put that on me. She's never said those words to me that like, I am responsible for what happens to her or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just like this thing of like, yo, like you did so much. Yeah. Like, and I can't even imagine the things that I just didn't see or you didn't tell me. You know what I'm saying? I just right. like picture it. I'm like, God, dog, like 
there's no way like this woman had me at 15 like how 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 you know what i'm saying and so um i just think of like all that stuff i'm like yeah i'm I'm gonna buy you that range one day i'm gonna get you that range one day i'm gonna get you that house one day you know what i'm saying yeah so but like what then when i get those things like what then you know right. <laughs> so no i i just related to so much on that so thank you so much for sharing that that's, that's so yeah, good yeah indeed um, yeah it's so, like and sorry, one thing you said just like around the um that piece about picking up assignments unnecessarily mm. when you stop doing that that's freeing because this <sighs> whole like that person might need help it's not necessarily my assignment to help them and i feel like sometimes when you are a fixer and you are good at solutioning it's your default and you want to get in there just because i see how it could be fixed again doesn't mean that it's my job to fix it and that's something that i've really had to learn to sit in and so sometimes you're observing it for a bigger reason and just Mm -hmm. so that you you see that you can see and you can spot that but it's not always your job to step in yeah and not every time somebody's asking you to help like sometimes they're literally (laughs) you're volunteering i know you know, like, like Captain Save a Ho. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, <laughs> yo, so, so, so. I'm done with you, Morning. I'm done with you. <laughs> Sometimes, honestly, like they just literally ask you to listen, and you're over here giving out all this stuff that they they literally aren't even going to use. And so, right. like you over here in your your armchair providing all this incredible. Well, hold on. Yeah. You're providing advice or, or thoughts that you think are incredible, but they ain't even listening because all they right. did was ask. They all they wanted was an open ear to vent and something like that. Like they didn't ask for you to help. They they know exactly. what they need to do. So like that's why becoming a coach has been like transformational even for me because I learned yeah. like sometimes you just need to ask them questions so that they figure it out. So even when yes. I have clients now, they're like, "Wow, thank yeah. you so much for for sharing that with me." I was like, I literally didn't do anything. I asked you a question and I just repeated what you said. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like yes. that's our that's impactful you know what i'm saying just mirroring the call and response every day that that's that's funny because that's they don't get it they don't yeah. get it elsewhere because like to your point they say it to someone else and now they give them a solution or they give them their opinion or they're like this is what you should do versus like i heard you say this is that what you meant and then they mm-hmm. have to be like "Ooh, no i hear i hear how that sounds so it gives people yeah. an opportunity to be reflective mm-hmm. yep and sometimes it's just better to just hold space you know what i'm saying yes, yes. that's so good yes. yeah <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. All right, well, <laughs> got me dying. All right, so I've held you for a while. Thank you so much for sharing everything you shared. One of the mm-hmm. last questions I want to end on is I think back often, and and one of the things I'm I'm learning to do right now in this season of life is because I've criticized my teenage self, I've criticized myself in my twenties, I've criticized so many. Like I was really harsh on that person. You know what I'm saying? Like the different versions of me up until now. And I'm mm-hmm. learning to give that like younger Jonathan grace on the decisions that he was making because he was doing the best that he could. And like I, when I think of that, I'm thinking of there's this this Disney Plus short. It's like a Pixar short. And it's like, I forgot what it's called. I will plug it in the show notes because it's like so incredible. But basically, it's like this person that had just gotten old enough. And it's like three different versions of her. And all of mm-hmm. these different versions are like walking into this place, like insecurity showing up, like like the ba- little baby her is like trying to take control and like all these different things and she's just stumbling and at the end of it her friend like mm-hmm. talks to her and is like i don't have it all figured out either you know what i'm saying like they're a little bit older and just like validating and providing space like we said 
of like the feelings yeah. and then all of a sudden she comes back and like she's this adult but like it's so cre- it was weird to see like these three kids like in a club and you're like what's going on <laughs> but anyways <laughs> like but like uh but i i'm like learning to like honor and hold space even for those different versions of me mm-hmm. so what is like some advice about happiness that you would give your like teenage self or younger self yeah that you wish you knew yeah i would i would say stop looking for it outside of yourself like mm-hmm. stop looking for other people to make you happy. Stop Mm -hmm. giving other people the power to determine whether or not you're happy because it's, it's too much pressure to put on someone else. And then it's also too much power to give someone else to be able to affect your emotions that way. And so I, I think that, and part of that goes to even just understanding that like success is not a destination, it's a journey. And so learning to, ask like, what does success mean for me mm-hmm. now? What makes me happy? What serves me in this season? How can I best use my gifts? Am I fulfilled? That in and of itself is success. And so I would tell my younger self to start journaling, start yes. journaling your feelings consistently to share with your mom how you're feeling and trust that she can create space and she might not always get it right, but it's because mm. she loves you. And so not to think that you can't, not to try to protect her from your feelings. Mm. I think that would be mm. what I would say. So it's like journal, stop trying to protect your mom for your feelings. If you're sad, if you're feeling depressed, like talk to her. She's strong enough to hold it even if she starts crying. And that's just because yeah. it's you, not because yes. she can't <laughs> she can't carry some of, of the weight. And then like figure out what makes you happy and be okay being the oddball sometimes because mm-hmm. sometimes your destiny requires you to stand apart. And mm-hmm. it may not always feel good at the time, but like the people who are for you will catch up. But you're, you trying to fit in, it, it shrinks you. And I would tell my younger self to learn that poem. I believe it's by like Marianne, is it Williamson? Like your, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest mm-hmm. fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. To mm-hmm. learn that and to live that poem because- um, that really is, I think, my younger self. You know you're meant for more, but you're scared that that will make other people feel insecure around you. And so you shrink yourself and that's mm-hmm. not serving you or anyone else around you. So journal, trust your mom <laughs> that she can that she can hold the the space. Um, be okay um, standing out and standing apart um, for a season because maybe you're different. And then really taking to heart that poem because it's okay to let your light shine, even if that requires you to be on your own at times. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, I, I think back of like the advice I would give myself is like, you know, uh, asking myself the question, like, what do you want? I think mm-hmm. I let other people dictate the how my life was going to go for a lot of the mm-hmm. times and very rarely ever questioned or asked the question of what I wanted. And so I would ask, what do you want to do? Like, what are you passionate about? Yeah. And a lot of what you shared of just like, I would do things because like I was good at them, not necessarily because it made me happy. And as soon as it got hard or as soon as something was like, I could, I don't, I didn't see myself successful or getting recognition or praise for it. I just stopped it, even though it made me happy. Yeah. I would probably remind myself like there is power and no, like you can say no, you don't have to do everything. There are a lot of opportunities that will come. I think it's uh, it's okay to be exceptional. That's another one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not to be the exception, to be exceptional. Yeah, I, I'm going to flesh that out because like I did a keynote and I talked about that a little bit because I think growing up and, and just like in California, there's like this thing called the gate program. I don't know how 
abroad it is, but it's a gifted and talent education. And so I was in that since mm -hmm. the second grade. And so I had, it's just a time where you get like additional resources or support or whatever that were there. And, and as the more and more I went up, the less and less like black and brown folks I saw there. So like, mm -hmm. I would hear things of like, you're one of the good ones. You're, you're so smart. You, you, you. And it like had this extra connotation on it because I was black. I'm mm -hmm. the only black one in there. And so like I started to internalize that I was the exception and not just exceptional. And mm -hmm. the other societal factors that played into like, why am I the only person in that room or black kid in that room? Right. Instead of being like, you know, yeah, I'm a smart kid, but there's other kids that are that are smart, too. And this education system, I just know how to navigate it better than them. Or like mm -hmm. I had a mom that would be in my ass if I didn't do my homework. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, or like had the space or had the space to do that because other parents like, you know, they care. They love their kids, but like mm -hmm. they're working constantly. You know what I'm saying? And don't mm -hmm. have the room to do that or a, a plethora of other reasons. Right. So I, I had to I, I would remind myself that you are it's OK to be exceptional, but like you are not the exception. You're exceptional. And so like mm -hmm. just like getting that differentiating that in my mind. Love that. And then, goodness, just uh, yeah. Don't let yeah, yeah. I, those are all. I mean, like I you say. just drop, you just drop the mic. You're probably your brain's like, what else do you want? Like, yeah, you don't, need, you don't need mic. to say like. anything else, Jonathan. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, Marniki. Thank you so much. Honestly, this was a one. I knew it was gonna be a wonderful conversation, but this like far exceeded my expectations because I didn't have any to be honest. But um, I would love for you to go ahead and plug yourself where can people find you i can already tell you are well you did a little bit of coaching here uh, with me but like i would love for you to um share you know where can people get in touch with you how can they follow you keep up with you and if they want to work with you um go ahead and plug everything you're doing yeah absolutely so definitely check out my website it's revisioncoaching.com and you can contact me through the website there, there's a form just like plug in, or you can directly email me at info at revisioncoaching.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. And so you can either follow me, Moriniki Williams, or you can follow Revision Coaching on Facebook as well. And so I think it's Revision Coaching Official. And so any of those platforms would love for you to connect with me and and yeah, and reach out. And if I can be of help, don't hesitate to be in touch. We're going to be rolling out some courses this year. I'm just really trying to create mm -hmm. practical spaces for people who want to, both whether it's pivot professionally from what you're doing into something completely different, you're looking to get that promotion, or you're just trying to get clarity around your purpose. Um, whatever like part of your professional or personal journey you find yourself on, I really feel like we can um, help you. And then separate from that, I love coming and speaking and engaging. So to the extent that you have opportunities to come and speak, I'd love for you to connect with me. So definitely visit um, the website or contact me through social media and let's uh, let's work together. Absolutely. And uh, I like always, all of those things are going to be in the show notes. Please, please, yeah. please connect with more Nikki. Tell her, hey, I heard your podcast. Love what you said. I'm going to follow you now, yada, 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 and support yes. the work that she is doing. Again, thank you so much. It was an honor, a privilege, and thank you so much for everything that you shared with us here with The Real Fam. I know that they appreciate it. I appreciate it, and you are an incredible person.
Oh man, thank you so much. Like your podcast is amazing and I've like already been binging episodes <laughs> and I have to keep going. And so thank you. I feel honored to be able to say I am among someone who has been interviewed by you because I know that it's just going to be a day where people are like, wait, you were on there? I'm like, yes, I was. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, so, absolutely. I'm excited to see. Yeah, you're, I mean, but you're just bringing amazing, amazing content and um, the perspective and the approach. It's really, um, relatable but informative so best of luck as you continue to grow this empire that you're building yes i'll receive it uh -uh. Yes. all right thank you all right now <laughs> i'll talk to you soon all right thanks